Welcome back, Conscious Monkeys, to another episode of Traveling to Consciousness. I'm your host, Clay Kateri, and on this episode, we are joined by Natalie Mangiarsina. Uh, so this episode, you got uh, two uh, Sicilian heritage uh, people <laughs> in the same room, which I found pretty fascinating, but uh, more on that later. First, uh, Natalie, a uh, podcaster, um, I think she has a YouTube channel as like her primary source. And she has a website about that's called Sex Skin Spirit. Um, so let's start there. What like got you into, I guess, the sex realm, the spirituality realm, the, I guess, healing in general? Yeah, so it's been a very long journey for me. And I've kind of been into all of this ever since I was younger, because I'm, I'm very sensitive to energies around me. And that was kind of the first thing was me just noticing like, all right, I'm feeling things and emotions that other people maybe aren't as privy to. And just kind of started going down this hole of researching and watching YouTube videos from other people who are in the spiritual realm. And I had a lot of questions because I grew up super religious and like very involved in church and a very like charismatic church. And but I had a lot of questions that people really couldn't answer for me. So I kind of just started seeking out those answers on my own. And I'm trying to remember what year, I think it was 2018. I did yoga teacher training. And that really just, like I was talking to you earlier, once you start on this path, it really deep dives you into a lot of like crazy stuff. And I started getting into like lucid dreaming and energy healing and working with the body through yoga and meditation and ever since then, I've just really been drawn to healing myself and to working through this energy. So with all that being said, <laughs> sex and spirit is really like a culmination of that wisdom and those experiences that I've had and just my journey of healing my trauma, which a lot of it is sexual based. So healing that trauma, working with that energy in my body and starting to kind of come back to who I really am through spirituality and through these yoga and meditation practices that I've kind of found along the way. And yeah, that's, first of all, really fascinating. I think there's a lot of uh, parallels between both of our stories and hopefully we're able to get into them. Uh, just to highlight a few is like religion, lucid dreaming, yoga. Um, but I guess let's start with where we're at now, because I, you know, kind of found you through like the sex realm of things and sexual trauma. And sexual trauma was something that I kind of experienced at a young age as well. Now, what I've been starting to realize is, and I've seen this in many texts and different things where sex seems to be like our connection to divine source or divine energy or whatever you want to kind of call it in that regards. So I find it so fascinating that it seems like sexual trauma seems like something that has a tendency to burn in almost everybody thus blocking off our ability almost at like a fundamental level to connect to this like divine source of creation or um, I guess I don't want to get like too woo woo with it, but I'm not sure if that's something you've kind of seen as well where, and I think you were talking about a lot of your messages are like, I need help with like my sexual, you know, uh, my realm or like what people reach out. Do you feel like that's like a commonality you see between people as well, where a lot of people are kind of seems like hindered almost by uh sexual trauma oh yeah absolutely like i feel like now more than ever there are so many people who have this trauma and 
they're either not aware of it or it's basically just running their lives on a subconscious level. And a big part of that for me is recognizing that obviously men are included in that as well. And interestingly, like the majority of the questions that I get are actually from men. So I think there's also the stereotype that this only happens to women. But of course, like men deal with this as well. And we all have those masculine and feminine energies within us that can become unbalanced from these things, which we can kind of get into more. But yeah, it's definitely, unfortunately, it's becoming more and more common for people to have sexual trauma and blockages in their sacral chakra from that. Yeah. And that's interesting. You bring up like, you know, kind of that duality of it, right? Because, you know, a big part of this realization that I'm coming through is like the whole yin yang, right? We should have a balance of masculine energy and feminine energy. It seems like some of it, maybe sometimes we have a little bit more of one. We need a little bit, like we need to tap into our feminine for some things. We need to tap into our masculine for other things. But it's almost like, it's almost like we're, you know, at birth, it's almost like it's almost pressured upon us to fall into that like polar opposite of, not polar opposite, but fall into the polarity of whatever our uh, birth gender is and to embody that, you know, masculine or feminine trait, you know, more so above the opposite. Yeah. And I, and I think people just think like too linearly about it. Like they think it's in the way they dress or, or it's, you know, people generally characterize females as being like more sensitive and soft and men as being like stronger and less like emotional. And of course, now we know that those characteristics can exist in anyone but it's also one of those things where like whatever you are lacking or if if you have a hard time with your confidence in general, like really tapping into that masculine energy of confidence can actually be a really positive thing. And I think people just have all these biases. And obviously, a lot of that is from their trauma too, being biased about uh, positive masculine or feminine energy. And so they just they don't even want to work with that energy because they're holding all these like internalized biases from trauma. Right. So here's a, here's an interesting thing. And maybe we, I think I feel like we got off to a really strong start here. So maybe we're able to kind of pull this back a little and maybe approach the people. So I feel like it falls into maybe one of three camps, right? So you're at, either at a place where you knew you had trauma and you've healed that trauma or camp number two, I would consider being, okay, you've identified that you have trauma and you want to heal that trauma. Or camp number one, where you're completely oblivious to it and you're just kind of going through the motions of the life. So do you know of any or have seen a causation or commonality between maybe that last camp where it's like, oh, I'm just going through the motions of life. And if you know, it just is what it is. And I'm not worried about fixing these issues that keep coming up. Do you have you been able to see or tap into why or how you're able to help those people kind of see it or transcend it to get to that place? Yeah, of I mean, Oh, I Oh, I do have trauma, I need to do something for that. Yeah, because I, I was in that place myself, like, kind of not blissfully, but unaware, basically for years that oh like the reason why I have this pain all the time is because of this trauma and I think 
one of the ways you can start to become aware of that, because really that's that's the first step is awareness and being able to, you know, take some time, whether it's through meditation or just sitting through yourself in therapy and starting to really look within. But it could literally have manifested this trauma as like a physical pain. Like for me, I actually developed like, this might be TMI, but I like to (laughs) tell people everything. I developed an ovarian cyst from my trauma. And that was kind of a physical manifestation of the part of me that needed healing. So it could literally be a physical pain or illness like that. And in some people, like it shows up, and I think you were telling me some of your story, like having issues in relationships and having trouble connecting with people or committing. Um, If you are cheating on a partner or lying to them, like that could be coming from a place of trauma, of a scarcity mindset. So just starting to be aware, like, are you hurting people in your life? Are you hurting yourself? And especially in acts of sex too, like, are you present and involved or are you just doing it as fast as you can and then like moving on? Because I think those are all signs that the energy is really blocked in your system and there could be something deeper to the issue, like the root of the issue versus just, you know, masking the symptom. Yeah, I, I think that that last thing that you said about like, are you escaping it? Or are you mentally somewhere else? And if you're a guy listening, and maybe females do this as well, but I know as a guy, um, you know, there's a huge pressure, maybe, or we feel pressured, I re- <laughs> pun not intended, uh, to <laughs> uh, last long in bed. And so I think that a symptom of what you're kind of discussing could even be on a masculine uh, example would be like worrying about how long you are lasting or like worrying that you're going to, you know, be premature. And, and I think the, the split there that you kind of mentioned is that the, like not being present and escaping from that present moment, you know, almost like your consciousness splits from your body where you're not really feeling what's happening in your body as you're going through the process. Right. Yeah. Cause it, it takes awareness to, to connect to the person that you are having this sexual interaction with. Like it's tuning into how they're feeling and how they're responding. And it's, it's a symbiotic relationship. And I think sometimes, especially in the West, we've forgotten that it's not just about reaching that peak of pleasure and then just, you know, (laughs) ending it. Like it's really about that connection is where the magic is like not to sound cheesy, but like the beauty of sexual energy that so many people are attracted to in the spiritual world is when you have that connection because that is an orgasm that can last for much longer, just like time-wise. But it also is just like, it releases this really restorative energy in your body that is really healing. And I think people are missing out on that. And especially like guys, for example, you were saying that pressure they feel. I think it's it's getting away from like their feminine energy. Like, do you feel that also like, when they disconnect from the feminine, it's almost like wanting it to just happen so quickly. Yeah, I guess I'm not sure if I, so I would say that it might be difficult to describe it like that because whenever I was in that mental space, I wasn't really that conscious, I guess. I mean, you know, I'm aware of like being masculine versus being feminine, but to transcend that into, you know, 
there's a polarity and you should embody both. I wasn't really aware of that. It was more very three dimensional, right? Like I don't want my physical body to like, you know, come because, you know, then I, if I come, then, you know, there's the re there's societal repercussions of her then knowing that I come prematurely. So now she could tell other people and it becomes like, it becomes like I'm scared, you know, it's like a fear that in which then separates me from the actual act of sex in the first place. And what I kind of came to realize, and so partially, you know, part of it is focusing on the other person, you know, part of it is me. And I think I was born with a little bit more empathy, I think on average than, you know, most people, um, not to the extreme of like an empath where, you know, you're taking on everything, but to the level of like, well, I want that person to feel good. So, you know, there's a level of like me not wanting to come because I want them to come. But even just like that mentality can start sending you down like a spiral of like, oh, am I doing this right? Or is like that happening right? As opposed to just being in that present moment, kind of tapping in and feeling what they're feeling and kind of going with that flow as well. Yeah. That makes it, sense? Yeah. I think it really is like a natural flow of energy and when you tune into it, it, it doesn't become work. Like, I think it's more like an instinctive. And I think that's kind of what I was trying to say in a different way is like the feminine aspect of sex is listening to your instinct and your, in your intuition. So when you become present during sex, like you start to notice little things like how your partner is responding and, and that helps you to relax too. Cause it's not always about performing by being like inside of her. Like, I don't know how else to say that, but right. like just to give people practical advice. Like it's not always about like, how long can you last inside of her? Like there's all these other ways that you can pleasure that also allow you to kind of have some space to just breathe and relax and be like, okay, I don't have to draw my, all of my energy on like staying hard. Like I can actually focus on these other areas and kind of, you know, calm down and just let myself come back into the present moment. And then I can go back to that. So yeah, kind of just, like you know, balance yourself, the two. Yeah, you go through that like wave almost of like, you know, I guess I don't want to say like pleasing myself and then pleasing her because I feel like you can both be being pleased at the same time, let's say. Um, but I, maybe I'm losing my train of thought here. Uh, well, like, something that popped if I can add like Help one more thing too, like <laughs> sure. I, so in my experience, it's also like learning to find pleasure from your partner being pleasured is that's, that's the spiritual aspect, aspect of sex to me, because that really is like going beyond the ego that just wants to basically come and going beyond that and seeing like, wow, it makes me feel so good for this person that I'm with to feel good. So it's, you're still getting right. something out of that relationship. It's not like you're only focusing your attention on them, but in return, the person you're with is pleased. So they want to please you. And I mean, really that's a win-win situation. And that kind of allows the energy to flow like more openly and freely too. Yeah. I think that's a huge, that's a huge touching point. I think at like a metaphysical level is focusing on creating like those win-win situations and being able to find those just in everyday life uh, with regards to sex. Like I completely agree with you that, you know, when you are present, you know, you are attuned to that other person, you can 
almost feel that reciprocity that comes back towards you. Now, you know, not everyone's perfect and maybe sometimes you're not going to get that reciprocity, but that's probably a good identification that maybe, you know, that person isn't being present or isn't in tune like you are with that, with that sexual energy. Yeah. And that's just another thing to be aware of too, because, you know, if you're giving and giving and really trying to please this person and communicating openly with them, but they're just completely blocked energy, like they might need to kind of go within themselves and heal and process whatever, you know, stuff they have in them. And that might not be the best person to be giving your sexual energy to because sexual energy can, it's a really strong energy. And to allow that to be drained by somebody like that, who's just completely blocked off, like that's not loving towards your own self either. And that's really just going to come back to hurt you in the end. Right. It's like, uh, it's like almost like a Taurus, right? Like your, you know, your body is essentially like this Taurus energy flow. And if you're sharing that with someone that's blocked, you're essentially going to start blocking your own. Wow, I guess I never really thought of it that way. Because I've heard about like how you can share like blockages through sexual energy. But then that's like that level of, oh, like if you're almost like combining that Taurus. And for those who don't know, it's like your energy flows out of your heart and then back in through almost like your solar plexus region. Um, and so then if you're if you have unlocked that flow, and you then try to join it with someone else's, let's say, Taurus or human or sexual energy, then it can almost create that block back within you because of that exchange of energy. Yeah, I mean, you're and you're also kind of you're attracting what you need. So that partner could also be reflecting a part of you that needs to be healed. So that's why I see so many women attracting, for example, like abusive partners like there could be a part or a trauma within themselves and they're attracting somebody who's really just holding up a mirror for them. But that doesn't necessarily right. mean, Oh, you should keep like giving your sexual energy to that person. Like you should, you know, take the lesson and look in the mirror and see what needs to be healed and work on that part of yourself. So you can begin to attract partners who are more in alignment with your own energy. Or at least that energy that you want for your ideal person. Yeah. And so that's, well, that becomes a messy conversation. Well, let's go for it. <laughs> Cause I've always kind of, and I have a sister and, um, I have maybe I'm still trying to fine tune the wording of this kind of uh, conversation because I know this is a difficult one to have and still trying to figure it out. So as a female, maybe you can help me out with it. But, um, I mean, I know the first time I came up with it was a little bit more aggressive, but in essence, it's along the lines of like this abuser abusey relationship. You can kind of take gender out of it, I guess, but you know, on average it's males usually abusing females. It's I'm sure 99% of the time it's the masculine energy abusing the feminine energy. And so, you know, it's that, and when I've had this conversation, it's kind of like, you know, who do you blame if you know, someone's being abused. Right. And I completely am not like, I want to put it out there that I am no way like condoning, you know, abuse or physical violence of any form. I just want to highlight that it's interesting how you find these dynamics where, you know, it's, and I'm really trying to walk on eggshells here, but I have a hard time trying to figure out. It's like, well, you know, the abusee is still putting them in the situation to be abused, 
And then the abuser obviously is holding the sense of power, almost like not holding the power over them, but refraining from, I'm not sure if you understand, if you're picking up where yeah, I'm going with this. I think I am. You might be able to help me out. Yes, because <laughs> it, yeah, it is a tricky subject and it's one that I used to just get angry about and kind of place all of the blame on one. And just to preface this, like, I think what's helped me understand this is understanding that we view everything as good versus evil. And I think there is so much gray area in between that we need to be aware of. But to me, uh, the only thing I can control is the way I respond to a situation. You know, like if somebody does something horrible to me, which happens to a lot of people and in these situations, they absolutely are a victim. Like this thing has come into their life, this person, and whether they attracted it subconsciously or not, they weren't consciously aware that they were attracting that energy into their life. So therefore they are a victim. But I will say you are responsible for how you react to things that come into your life, you know? And it is tricky. I'm, I'm being cautious of how I word this too. <laughs> because right. there are many situations that I know of where people attract abusers into their life subconsciously and I will just say as that I know they're not consciously doing it and that person comes into their life and then they are trapped and they're trapped because if they try to leave you know it could become a violent situation and it could escalate so in that sense yes you may be physically trapped but mentally this is the part where spirituality it's really difficult like it's not love and light all the time it's really challenging to say, yes, I'm in this situation, but I'm going to overcome it mentally. And I'm going to, you know, stand firm in my power and be sovereign in my mind. And that may be the only place where you have freedom is within your own mind in that situation. But having that freedom in your mind, in my experience, is going to free you from that physical situation one way or another. Does that make sense? Kind of? Yeah, it's like, it's like really only you can kind of figure out that you're in a place of pain almost. It, it kind of reminds me of In the Power of Now. Have you read that book? Yeah, it, incredible. And he talks about how like we have these pain bodies where like if you're in your 3D self, you're not aware of trauma you identify with this pain and maybe it's physical, maybe it's emotional and you attach to it and identify with it where, you know, this always happens to me. That always happens to me. I always feel like this. I always feel like that. And he talks about how if you're in such a place of pain, you like identify with that negative energy and it becomes a part of your own identity where then it's like, you've taken so many years and so much time of your life to say that is who I am. It's like, you know, the brain's so powerful to kind of come back to what you're saying. It's like, yeah, like you're right. And this is kind of a conversation I have a lot with when people talk about politics. It's like, if you keep reinforcing a certain idea within yourself, whether it's political, whether it's sexual, whether it's uh, a way you are, whether it's financial, then it's like, you're right. Like that is who you are because you keep telling yourself that and who knows you better than yourself. 
Yeah, I mean, your mind doesn't know the difference between what you tell it is true and what is actually true. So if you build this whole narrative that I am worthless and I'm only with people who treat me like bad and like I am just constantly bringing that into my life, like how is your mind going to know any different? You know, it you subconsciously begin to seek out those situations and your mind doesn't believe that you can be any other way because your mind can actually only hold one thought at a time. It can't hold two opposing opinions at the same time. So whatever you believe to be true, you know, that's the truth. And a big part of this healing work is beginning to change that narrative using different states of consciousness in your brain to literally change that narrative of scarcity into an abundance mindset. And yeah, the people's political opinions is like, that's a whole nother thing too, but they want us to live in fear. They want us to feel like it's out of our control, but self-responsibility is definitely the most spiritual thing that you can begin to cultivate in your life. Right. And I think even, uh, I love bringing up like the Hawkins scale, which is like that energetic scale of like showing where anger and fear and shame and guilt are like at the bottom. And then, you know, enlightenment being like the top of the scale. And I always find it, and I, and I kept like, I kind of like took myself out of like the whole media and news culture, essentially, like, you ask me about political events i really don't know anything <laughs> yeah you as well and i found it fascinating because at the bottom of the hawkinson scale is uh like shame guilt and maybe fear or like the bottom three and i turn on the, the media because i was back home with my parents and they're watching the news and every single story is predicated on like one of those three things it's like you should be afraid of this. You should be guilty if you're not doing that. You should be like ashamed if you believe this. And it and it really like, you know, and once you go down the spiritual thing, you absorb that energy so much more. It, it kind of triggered me. Like I kind of got pissed at my parents. Like, you know, why are you guys watching this? Like, this is all terrible stuff. Like, da, 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 da. Like, you know, this isn't, and obviously it wasn't a very constructive conversation, but, you know, at some point when I was able to kind of step back and be like, whoa, that like <laughs> really angered me. Um, you know, I was, I was able to show them, I was like, Hey, like, you know, this is like the lowest frequency stuff that you could possibly be absorbing and putting into your life. And it's only gonna, you know, keep you trapped in, you know, that third dimension. Oh yeah, definitely. And I've had those same conversations and, and gotten angry about it, but yeah, that realization that kind of just came to me that, you know, it's not us versus them. Like, we are all expressions of consciousness and we are experiencing consciousness together. And there's not necessarily a right or a wrong. Like you said, I think there is higher vibration and there is lower vibration, but you really need to begin to see it all as just a part of the experience. And I feel like so many people want us to be just love and light all the time and to only have, you know, if you don't believe this or if you don't follow this political party, then you're wrong. And it's like, well, can you like shift your mindset? Can you understand why these people believe in this other political opinion that differs from yours? Because at the root of everything, everybody just wants to be loved. Like everybody wants to be taken care of and loved and to feel seen and heard. And I think you'll find these people aren't the devil. Like they just literally have a different opinion than you. Right. Yeah. And I think uh, to kind of 
kind of give you a personal example of you were talking about everyone wants to like just be loved. I had, and this, this perplexed me for probably 10, 15 years of my life and I could not figure out what it meant. Um, I had a bully in high school and I guess towards the end of middle school and then beginning of high school. And, you know, it was, I'm going to say toxic masculinity, which tends to be a weird word, but I feel like bullying fits in the realm of toxic masculinity where it's just over and above what needs to be done. Um, I think that phrase gets a little used a little too frequently maybe, but uh, in essence, you know, you see it whenever guys are like, uh, like, you know, we kind of like shit on each other. Like, Oh, like, you know, you, you have a small wiener or, you know, like, um, you know, little things like that, where it's like, Oh, why didn't you work out more? You know, it's our way of like poking each other. And I, so essentially I had a bully and he would do that, you know, and I could never conceptualize why he did it to me. You know, I was like, I, I could never figure out, like, I was kind of stuck there, like, okay, well, guys do this to each other. Like we do this poking, but for some reason I, he does it to me and I get like pissed off and angry about it and just like shut down, you know, and try to avoid him. And so, you know, the bullying continues and I kind of realized at some point that I never, like you never, I never bonded with him beforehand. We just went straight to the like aggressive bullshit nature. We never had that bonding moment, but I digress. And so eventually, you know, after the course of a couple years, uh, I eventually like fought him essentially. Like we got into a fight um, and like one of the coaches of our sports team had to break us up and I was just a mess. Like I couldn't stop crying. Like just that energy release of just finally standing up for yourself, you know, like uh, I was kind of convulsing even. I wasn't like throwing up or anything, but just that energy of just releasing. Yeah. Yeah. Just like that. Holy shit. Like that just happened. So where the story goes is, is that he essentially got, I think like a detention or like an in-school suspension or something and nothing had occurred to me. And I remember passing him in the hallway and I had the vivid, most vivid thing in the world. And he was like, Clayton, like, dude, I'm getting like suspended. Like, is something happened to you? I was like, no. And he's like, Oh, like, dude, that's so crazy. Like we were just messing around, like having fun. Like, why is like all this happening to me? That, that mindset completely like broke me for like 10, 15 years where I was like, how the hell could he not see what was going on? And to kind of come back to it, as I realized, you know, many years later that his parents weren't in the most loving parents, or they at least portrayed love in this aggressive mindset where it's like, you know, putting down or belittling is their form of showing love. So I realized so many years later that he was just showing his form of love as being this, what society would call as a bully. But in reality, it was just him displaying his form of love, getting pissed off that I wasn't showing love back to him. So he would have to just double down on his version of love. Yeah. And I think that's such a great example of what we were just talking about too. Like, you know, his perception was completely different from yours because of this conditioning that he'd obviously had growing up. Um, and I've, I've had similar experiences even with myself growing up and being bullied and same thing, bringing it to that person afterwards and them being like, I'm so sorry. I had no idea, like just completely unaware 
And I think it just kind of, it goes to show like everybody really is experiencing like reality through this kind of filtered perception based on, you know, their childhood and like where they're being raised and just conditional beliefs that they've built inside of their mind about themselves and the world. So it's, it's so hard to say like you were right or you were wrong because we're just not seeing the whole picture. Right. And not to mention, it's one of those things like it helped me rectify being able to stand up for myself, you know? So it's like, it goes back to that whole, you know, you attract what you need kind of thing. It's like, well, I was never speaking up for myself. And so this was a great example of, you know, when you don't do something for yourself or you're not doing what you need to do, it's just going to keep like becoming a bigger mountain almost. It's going to keep like showing it to you like, all right, well, you got to stand up for yourself now. All right. You want to do it now? All right. No. All right. Well, now you got to fight them. So it, it like keeps like, like transcending in complexity or transcending in negative it keeps like amplifying itself until you confront it amplifies for sure it does and it's like i don't i realize that now i'm like i don't want to wait till you know it's screaming in my face like as soon as i see it i'm like okay let's (laughs) go but i know that's really hard for a lot of people and a lot of people are still at that point of just being completely unaware and they are just continually having all of these really difficult situations come into their life and feeling like the universe is out to get me or like life is just so difficult and hard and not realizing what you're saying that like hello like the universe is trying to speak to you it's trying to tell you like I'm bringing this to you to show you something and teach you a lesson like and that's really a humbling experience too to just be like thank you like I learned something from this. I'm sure like you've grown as a person, you know, like you have the confidence to do this. You have a YouTube channel. Like it's really empowered you as a, as a human being. So in a way it, it allows you to just offer thanks for the experience and just, you know, give it back to the universe. And I think that's a huge cornerstone of what I'm trying to do is to like, just by putting out this content, it's to just, say, Hey, here's what I've been through. Like if you're going through something similar, like you're not alone kind of thing. And I know I've had several experiences in my life, that being one of them, where if you would have asked me about that, like 10 years ago, I would not be sharing that. Like that'd be something that, um, I would not have like ever discussed or talked about. Like I would have just kept that to myself. We would have never had like an open and genuine conversation about it. And same goes for really the sexual trauma. Um, you know, there's parts of that where I'll still kind of like omit or leave out just because I, you know, it's, it's like the fear of being vulnerable at some level where, you know, you, you know, my, if I'm able to tell you my weaknesses, now you can use them against me. But if I'm able to just say, Hey, here it is, then I, I like take that power away from you and restore it within myself. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Because it's, that's you conquering it, right? Like, I can give this to you, but I've already managed this inside of me. And I get that because I don't, I mean, I don't like going into great detail about what I've gone through either. And I I don't always feel a need to unless, you know, I'm with somebody who really has experienced something similar. I can kind of use that. But it's also interesting too, like, seeing that your story can heal people, for me, empowers me to share my story more. Because it's not easy to go out there and be open about what you've gone through. 
but knowing that it could potentially like help somebody else who's still, you know, dealing with the trauma from a similar situation, that makes me feel like, okay, like I need to put my ego to the side and just share this and be as open and vulnerable as I can. And there's something I think to be said for doing things that you're afraid to do. Like that was a huge like revelation kind of in my life. I, you know, as a five months ago, I was afraid to quit my job and it was creating so much like so much stagnant energy in my life or so much just, it made me heavy internally because I just wasn't doing it. It was, you know, me making up excuses. Like I wasn't even doing like that much work at the end of it, but it was just that I was so afraid of not having an income, not having money, you know, not knowing, being afraid of the unknown that it just, it kept me like held down in that place of, of fear, you know, of, um, you know, worry and dread. And I remember like, whenever I finally said, okay, I'm out of here. I have no plan whatsoever. Um, I didn't even start this podcast. I was just like, okay, I just know that I need to get out of here and following that in. Yeah. It, it was so incredible. Like I was just so energetic after I remember, um, I remember even just doing it like several people, uh, my roommate at the time, including was like, Oh, you inspired me to like, look at this thing or like even to try this or reconsider my current job or start looking for a new job. It was just so just empowering to even just hear that. It's like, all right, well, I'm not making money, but like everyone's telling me I'm inspiring them. So like that's almost worth its weight in gold. Yeah. Making a positive vibration already through that. That's a good way yeah, to and put that's... it. I felt that same feeling uh, at my last job. I just, I got in this place where I was comfortable and I knew the work environment was so toxic. Like, and no matter how much I would deal with my own energy and try to, you know, be a positive light, there comes a point where it's like, it's just time for you to move on. And I had reached that right. point and I was just staying with it. And Usually what happens in that instance is there'll be something crazy, like the company goes under or I get fired. It like It's kind of one of those moments where it's like, if you're not going to do this, like the universe is going to do it for you. Yeah. And so basically what happened was I randomly applied to this other freelance job and got it. And I was like shocked. And, and even then with the path laid out in front of me, it still was really difficult to make that decision to leave. And I remember when I finally made the decision afterwards being like, is this right? Like, was I supposed to do this? And then all of these things with my brand just started kind of coming together. And I was like, okay, like, yeah, I got a confirmation, but yeah, it's, it's terrifying. It's definitely scary leaving the corporate world, but there is a sense of freedom and, and just being able to do what we do and like actually help people with things that they're dealing with on like a mental and spiritual level to me that's so much more I don't want to say more important but it's it's just so valuable right now in our society it I mean I guess it depends what you're doing right but it certainly felt it was certainly far more important for me to follow that itch that itch that there's something more Um, So for like a little bit more background, I was a software engineer at a uh, corporation that made military drones. And so, you know, there was a societal component there as well, where like when I would tell people that, you know, I get into the nuances a little bit, but 
they would always just be like, oh, that's so cool. Like, that's sick. Like, you know, yada, yada, yada. But to me, I was like, yeah, it's not as glamorous. Like, I wouldn't say this, but internally, it's like, oh, that's not as glamorous as you think. I, you know, um, you know, I'm not really crazy about like being a part of the military industrial complex, but my, my brain would be filled with all these negative thoughts about the job when they're sitting there so energized. And it's like, okay, so am I sticking at this job for me or for them to hear this societal acceptance of my job title versus fulfilling what I actually need to do to impact or progress, let's say, the collective consciousness on earth? Oh, yeah, because there's definitely that pressure for sure. And I mean, I feel it too with just people in my life. They don't understand what I do. And I... I kind of yeah. cater the way I describe it, depending on the person I'm talking to. Um, to some people, I do therapy. To other people, I'm an energy worker. Just depends. But <laughs> and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's just you know some people can't wrap their minds around some of this stuff, or they're not as open to it. But yeah, there's that pressure. You know, family reunions when you go and everyone's like, "What are you up to?" and and how's it going? And how much money are you making? Basically, is what they're asking. Like, are you a professional in the corporate world yet and it's just it's kind of a very outdated way of thinking like going to work to a nine to five working for somebody else and just kind of putting whatever that purpose is that you feel inside of you because I think everyone has it you know you have passions and desires and I don't think those are random like I think that is the thing that you're actually really good at but we don't give ourselves the space like in our current society to actually go after that and pursue it. I, I, I guess I pers right. And I think there's probably like a, a cultural or like a, a societal <laughs> indoctrination sounds like a big word, but, um, and some lens we're indoctrinated <laughs> in a sense, we're indoctrinated, right. As to just from the age of five years old, it's like, okay, you're going to go to school. We're going to tell you what you learn. We're going to tell you what classes you're going to, um, you know, you need to get good grades so that you can go to college. You know, if you don't go to college, then, you know, we're going to cast judgment and, you know, going to college involves you taking on anywhere between 25 and a hundred thousand, sometimes more grand in debt, which is absolutely insane to strap an 18 year old with. Even if you do one year of college, it's, incredible amount of money like i it's so hard to wrap your brain around as a kid but then as you get there it's like okay well now what it's like i have 100k in debt it's like all right well you better find a job because that's the only stable way for you to pay back this loan and people don't realize it and then you're you're sitting there paying that back for the next 40 years if you're lucky you get out of it in 40 years and now you have the last 20 30 years of your life to try to be happy which is almost impossible because, you know, your frontal lobe and the way the brain evolves, it's now in its stagnant place. Like you've cut off the learning. You're just trying to get back to zero, you know? Yeah. And I think like really what's happening, like on an energetic level is like we're separating from our true nature. And to me, I mean, I feel like this when I'm at a job, I feel I want to go outside, like I want to explore the universe. I want to travel and communicate and meet people. And being stuck inside of a building all day, 
it just doesn't sit right. You know, it's not our true nature is to explore and to be in tribes where each person kind of has their designated role. But, you know, tribes would go out and they would gather food and it would take them maybe 20 hours to get food for the week. And then the rest of the time they would be dancing and making art and exploring and like, and I think we just really are missing out on that connection, even with our planet too, because that's a big aspect of it is like being able to explore the planet Ron makes us appreciate earth in a different way. And you can see that in how earth is dying. Like, unfortunately, I don't like, I don't want to sugarcoat it. Like our planet really is dying. And a big part of that is because we've lost our connection to her and to exploring her and, you know, just going out into the train daily and being a part of nature. And so losing that connection, like it makes us feel like we just need to be this machine that is kind of fueling a system. And we forget, you know, like Eckhart Tolle was saying about identification, like those are all just identifiers, like your job title and your place in society. But finding out who you are without those things, like that's your true nature. And that can only be found within you. It's not anything outside of you. Yeah. And I think that's a huge piece of the puzzle. It's that, you know, how do you even identify, right? It's like, like, who are you? You know, it's like, Hey, like, like, what do you do? Like we, we go to these like names, right? Like whether it's Clayton, whether it's male, whether it's, you know, my job title, whether it's even just podcaster, YouTuber, you know, it's, we start getting identified with those things. And it's like, you know, and this is why I highly recommend meditation to people, because if you can't, like, how do you, like, you can't, you almost can't describe yourself without using those levels of identification. Like there becomes this level of like, I just am, you know, you like look at your hand and you're just like, I just, I just am. It's like, you know, it's what, there is no labels for essentially anything that you are in a sense. Yeah. Like I I am existence. Like I am awareness itself. Um, There's somebody that I follow. His name is Muji and he talks a lot about identifying with your thought forms and how like the more we identify with these labels and thought forms, it creates havoc in our lives. And we think that it's, it's helping us understand a situation because we're sitting there and thinking it through, but then you end up causing more problems. Like some people sit in meditation and they try to think about their problems. And then you find that you feel more anxiety and stress than you did when you started. And like, for me, the moment when I feel the best is when I literally empty my mind and I let everything just dissolve. And it seems to just, you know, kind of line things up in my life exactly how they're supposed to be. <laughs> Magically, yeah, I guess. Just, <laughs> it really feels like a source of magic, of something from a different a different reality. How does that, so this is actually an interesting point. Uh, so how does that kind of couple in with the idea of like manifesting and so in my mindset, I'm interested what your opinion is kind of in between here. So you need to set your intention, right. To manifest something like you can't just, you have to have like a desired goal in your mind, right? Like there has to be a desired target of a hundred thousand podcast downloads or having X dollars in your bank account or having YZ. 
Now there's, I believe like another level that I've been exposed to of kind of like what you're saying, where it's just like empty yourself of all thoughts and just feel that you're going through the flow of life. And I'm always trying to figure out where the balance is between focusing on your intention and where you want to be. And then also just being okay with where you are and just, you know, following your, let's say, intuition or internal guide to get there. Yeah, kind of finding the balance between those two. Yeah. Is that um, essentially what it is? Yeah, I think, you know, manifestation is like such a hot topic right now. I think everybody is imagining that you can just meditate on having a hundred dollars in the next day. Like it just magically appears. And I do think it's a little bit deeper than that. Um and really a big part of it is understanding like how your mind works, going back to like your subconscious belief systems. So basically what you are doing is you're you're creating new like neural networks in your brain. And those pathways are going to cause your subconscious to start to pay attention to different things in your outside reality that are going to attract whatever it is that you want into your reality. So basically, like, for example, if you're like, I want 100,000 podcast downloads by March, you might start to work on, okay, why hasn't that happened yet? And starting to understand, like, are there any blockages within you that could be blocking that from coming to you? And that's really like the healing aspect of it, too, I think, is like understanding that there could be a blockage in your energy that is preventing that thing from coming into your reality. And usually, a lot of times, it's a scarcity mindset. Did you want to say something? Okay. Yeah, I have a question, right? So how can you tell then the difference between a blockage and just time, like the act of, and I know we don't have to go down the rabbit hole of time being an illusion, but <laughs> I feel like there's a level of like, you know, I can't just record one episode and then expect a hundred thousand downloads. Right. You know, there takes time to build trust. And so how do you, how do you kind of reconcile if it's a, if it's a blockage in energy or if it's just, you need more time, like, is there like a rough estimate on that or what's your opinion? Yeah, I think it's a big part of it is paying attention to how do I feel when I think about this? And there's there's a meditation practice you can do where you actually meditate on being the person that you want to be. So for example, like I'm going to sit here and I'm going to meditate and imagine myself as being like an energetic healer for a group of 10 people or something. And you'll close your eyes and you'll create a space around you where you imagine yourself literally being in that situation and allow yourself to be like completely observed in your or completely absorbed in your environment and the experience. And then just notice like, are there any feelings coming up in your body? So you might notice like your heart starts to beat really fast or you get a knot in your stomach. And things like that can be signs that there is an energetic blockage in that area that's basically a subconscious belief you have around that that needs to be healed. But then there is also, like you said, the aspect of time and just accepting. And this is the paradox. Like you want things to change, you want to achieve, but also the spiritual path is about just being. So it's finding the balance between the two. Like, can you accept your life? and experience it every day exactly as it is 
while simultaneously understanding that there are more things that are going to come into your existence that are for your highest good. And, but like accepting that while also being able to be present and enjoy life exactly as it is in this moment. Yeah. I, I, yeah, because it's, yeah, it's that balance is so wild. And I think you nailed the answer when you were talking about like the meditation of like mentally putting yourself where you want to be and then observing how you feel like if you feel like you're just like in this place of like peace and enlightenment, then you're probably good. Right. But if you start feeling like these knots or you start feeling anxious or maybe you can't even visualize, you know, what that is, you know, that would be, I think that's actually a great, I think method or a great practice to see if you have created a block or if you have those blockages that have occurred to prevent you from getting to that, um, that next step or that next space that you're trying to get to. Yeah, because I, I genuinely have experienced in my life, like the universe wants me to have what I'm seeking, you know, like I am seeking it and it's bringing it to me simultaneously. So getting out of that idea that like I have to do something, I have to become something and just realizing like you are perfect exactly as you are. And if you can come back to that awareness every single day, that's the best way to just clear out anything that needs to be cleared out because I think we really feel like I've got to change this and I've got to do this but when you're living in a state of awareness like you just naturally do exactly what you need to do and sometimes it just kind of flows through you it's like getting in a flow state like if you've ever kind of researched the flow state really all you're doing is sitting in awareness yeah I've been in there a couple times I I trained jujitsu and that if you're not in the flow state, everything gets uh, disrupted very quickly. <laughs> yeah, it's uh. So, is there a way to get to the flow state? Is it, it? Do you find yourself in that meditative practice when you just clear all thoughts? Would that be a way to access the flow state? Yeah, that's meditation is the number one, and you don't need anything. I mean, you don't have to listen to somebody guiding you. That can help you, but. For me, I just, I sit in silence and just close my eyes and, and kind of allow myself to move on from my identification and get to a place where it's just still and quiet. And I found that from there, it just, it, it gives you the energy you need to like write or to create videos. Like freeform writing is a great way to allow yourself to be in a flow state because you're just allowing yourself whatever wants to come out, just like let it come out and eventually you'll get to something that is valuable for your business or whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. And when you say free flow, free form writing, you're saying just like, do you just like set an attention or focus and then just write everything that comes to mind? Yeah. Kind of just like a flow of consciousness. So you can get in a meditative state and usually I'll meditate like early in the morning and I'll have a journal or something And occasionally, like, I'll ask myself a question. It's almost like you're interviewing yourself and asking, like, are there any areas where I'm blocking myself from receiving this? And then just literally respond to yourself. You might feel a little crazy talking to yourself, but (laughs) your mind is extremely (laughs) complex. And there's different parts of you that interact with each other on a daily basis. And if you can start having a dialogue with those parts, like, it will come up to the surface like quickly. It's kind of scary. Right. 
yeah <laughs> yeah you come become confronted like very very immediately with what and i think what uh i've usually noticed is that if you're afraid of it or if it creates like that energetic almost disturbance within you or like lowers your frequency that's usually where i've kind of found those um those truths almost of what you should be kind of pursuing if that makes sense Oh, yeah, like definitely whatever makes you feel fearful, go after that thing, <laughs> you know, conquer it. Go do it. Yeah, yeah. because Quit that's... your job, traveling. Yeah, and especially like, you know, people say I have a knot in my stomach, like your intuition sits in that chakra in that area. And it can feel really similar to a stomach ache or your stomach being in knots. And sometimes that right. feeling is a sign like, you need to listen to that because once you work through that and you untangle that knot, like you're going to feel so free <laughs> and so good. Yeah. And that's actually another crazy point that you bring up. And I, and this is where I kind of have start whenever I started discovering like chakras and the whole system there, I started like bringing that up to people about how we actually have idioms that kind of hit on different chakras, like, like having a frog in your throat you know, is symptomatic that you're not being honest or that there's essentially, if a frog is in your throat, it's blocking essentially your energy moving through your throat, which is, you know, then anyone who's heard that expression or been in that situation, you know what I mean? is like aware that you're not speaking the truth or you're not, or you're afraid to speak the truth. And therefore there's a block in that area of your body. Or like we call it the temple and it's like the temple of your mind. Like it's literally a, a sacred space holding your mind. Yeah, we definitely, I think there's, that's a whole thing of Carl Jung too. Like there's this sort of subconscious of the collective conscious that kind of reveals itself through our language. Like we use these different terms and we don't always consciously understand why we're using it, but it's because there's a deeper part of us that, knows that there are these blockages existing in our body and we it's coming out through our language and we're just not even aware of it so paying attention to that too is like how do you talk about yourself you know like do you say a lot of times like oh i have a knot in my stomach like are you using that kind of verbiage and language just becoming like conscious and aware of that in your everyday life is really going to expand your awareness and I think I came very much into that. And maybe this is a suggestion to people is to learn another language. Because when you learn a different language, a bunch of different stuff happens. But a huge piece of that is that these idioms and these transferences, two things. One, they might not have that idiom in another culture, which I think is fascinating. But two, and this is where it gets crazy, is that sometimes, and, you, and I've seen this quite a few times, is where they'll have an idiom, like there's a frog in my throat, but they won't have the exact words. Like it won't translate like a frog in your throat. Like maybe it's like um, something like uh, an umbrella over your mouth or, you know what I mean? I'm not sure. But the point is, is that I've noticed, and this is specifically with Brazilian cultures, that they have these idioms, the same exact ones we have, but just different words, but the same like underlying principle or core meaning is still there. I guess I just find yeah, it so fascinating. It's, it's cross-cultural. Yeah. I think people all around the world, it's kind of like how there's like the chakra system in, in one culture and then there's the meridian system and then we have prana and chi. 
like different words that are describing the same types of things, you know, that it's, it's that universal language that, I don't know, it's, it's trying to tell us a message if we can kind of piece the puzzle together and decode it. Or even like with, uh, excuse me, sacred geometry, you know, they've seen like the flower of life and the seed of life, you know, in all these different, you know, uh, cultures, whether it's mostly like Asian culture, I believe, or Middle Eastern, it's like, it's like there's these societies that have never talked to each other yet. And maybe it's in Mexico too, in the Mayans, but uh, regardless, it's like, you see these like symbols just repeating. And it's like, I know Egyptian culture had it as well. Um, And it's just so crazy to see that those things like transcend our physical world. And yet we still have this in tune nature to it, even though it's, even though you can't see it or you can't touch it or you can't feel it, we still like, we can't, we don't even need to communicate about it, but we like hold this truth to it. Yeah. It's like, there's some force inside of us that wants to like express itself in that way through like symbols and and images. And this is something I wanted to bring up uh, is that in this kind of ties into our whole religious like upbringing. Now, uh, the idea of, so like the Bible, right. Or, you know, we have all these different, let's say sacred texts across, um, across the world and people have been drawn to them, to the meaning of what they hold. Now, a huge thing. So what I personally believe is that I think that these texts, these religious texts are kind of our guide to living what we would deem being the most moral or the most win-win situation, or it's at least, let me rephrase that, our discovery into how to create win-win situations for all. Um, If you look at the Old Testament, it is absolutely barbaric and brutal. (laughs) And I I think that shows lens of how we never understood how to completely create these win-win situations. And as it kind of moves forward, I kind of see it as unraveling in that sense. Now, give the devil his due. I think that there have been people with egotistic and uh, maybe fear gets into them. And so they have created power structures around these uh, sacred texts that has then chastised and kind of create done. uh, I don't want to say that, but it's definitely had a negative impact in certain ways. So where I kind of got in that line of thinking is, is I kind of got to the idea of sex where, you know, they say in essentially the Bible, like you shouldn't have sex until marriage. Now I've been trying to couple that with like my line of thinking beforehand of like, okay, all of these have a certain meaning. Now, where does it fit into the puzzle that, you know, we shouldn't have sex until marriage. And it started recently, whenever I kind of came across your channel, realizing that, you are joining that energy. The sexual energy is so powerful that you are joining that with someone else. And so I guess I was probably a little bit of a long tirade there, but I'm curious if you've ever kind of applied this spirituality to your religious upbringing. Yeah. That's kind of the name for sex skin spirit sort of came from that and me starting to question and understand. Um, But yeah, about the Bible aspects, like, 
And where I'm at right now is I take the Bible and sacred texts in general as more having a symbolic meaning and we can kind of pull a truth from anything. But it's also in the context of like the society that those people were living in during that time. So at the time, you know, if you were partnered with somebody and your wife decided she wanted to go and have sex with somebody else, like that wasn't very good for you because you owned land together and you had kids together. So I think a lot of it was just practically speaking, it made sense for two people to stay together for all of their lives and to get married and have kids. Um, And nowadays, we don't really need all that stuff anymore. (laughs) And so there's the culture aspect of it, but there's also the aspect of what you're saying about energy. And to me, this kind of just happened through my own experience. But I found that when I gave my energy and I don't want to say gave it away because I'm not, it's not like you're tainting yourself or taking away any value from yourself. Sure. It's more like sharing it. Yeah, exactly. Like when you enter into that symbiotic relationship of sex, you are transferring your energy and kind of combining it with theirs. And you're also absorbing some of their energy as well. And you can call it life force energy or whatever, you know, term you use for it. But as you do that, you'll find that you have that connection with that person, sort of a heart-to-heart connection. And if they have a lot of healing they need to do inside of them that maybe they're unaware of, you can easily kind of pick up on that energy. And especially if you're empathic or you're walking this lightworker path, you might begin to absorb that energy into yourself. You might begin to notice that you're trying to heal them, whether subconsciously or consciously. And you're kind of taking on aspects of them that you don't need to be absorbing. So really, that's the main, how do I say it? Like, I don't want to say issue, but it's the main thing to like be aware of with sex is, is that you are kind of taking on this person's stuff. And so just being conscious of where you're placing your own energy and what energy you are absorbing is really and being aware of how that like comes into you, I guess, is that it comes back to that being present, I guess, before and after sex to realize, you know, what is entering or coming in that might not be you or might not be from you. Yeah. And when it comes to the whole, like, you know, some people choose to be celibate. And I think that's just a personal choice. Um, there are a lot of benefits to celibacy, you know, that energy can be used in meditation practices And it can be used and cultivated to be drawn into your crown chakra and things like that. There's like metaphysical practices you can do with that energy instead of releasing it during sex. But if you choose to release it during sex or masturbating, you know, that's just a personal choice. I don't think I don't think there's a right or a wrong way to use your energy. I think you just really need to use your own personal discretion and also just recognize what phase of life you're in currently, too. So that's so that's an interesting uh, point that you bring up about like how you can kind of direct that energy, um, you know, versus celibacy, because there's a wide spectrum there, right? Like, you know, there's people who, let's say, hook up with different people every, every weekend, and, you know, they, they do that, let's just say. (laughs) And then, you know, there's nothing wrong with that either. (laughs) Yeah, it, it just is what it is, right? And then there's people who would rather not who would let's say refrain or even let's say refrain from you know coming in general 
And this is, so I'm in a complete gray zone here. So I'm kind of just asking as a sense, but I've also noticed that, you know, like you said, it's kind of identified as like your life source is, you know, your, and now this is something I can only speak through as a man, because I don't know what it's like for a woman, but you know, like after coming, you know, you feel just drained. Like it's, I understand where that term life force comes from. Cause it does feel like you're kind of, I don't want to say relinquishing power, but it feels like you just are exerting energetic power. Let's say at when you come, like it's a why it's a reason that we just are, we're pretty much done for at least an hour after, you know, coming. And I guess I'm trying to figure out like, if you are like, where is there, I guess I'm trying to figure out if there's a balance or, you know, I've seen, like, I've seen the, like, there's, I guess it's about whatever you want at the end of the day. Right. But I've seen things on the far end of the spectrum where it's like, like the guys that just won't even, you know, come unless they're trying to actually have a kid or, you know, there's people that are just very, open with like, just, you know, masturbating every single day. And then it's like, where is, I guess, the healthy nature of that? Is there, is it really just down to the individual of how they want to, where they want to place that sexual energy? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's an individual basis, really depending on kind of what, what's your path? Like, are you trying to just socialize and have nothing to do with the spiritual path and you just want to have a good time, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. That's another way of experiencing life. And you might be okay. Like you said, kind of, it drains your energy. So somebody like that might be okay masturbating every day and just allowing that energy to release versus somebody who is really wanting to learn more. And I find that when I'm trying to learn more, more and more information, and I'm trying to really be focused and and study and just like gather as much wisdom as I can. If I'm having sex every day or masturbating every day, I literally can't focus. (laughs) Like it's like the energy is drained from me and I lose a lot of my creativity. And so I, for me, like I want to balance of both. Like I want to be able to have that social life, have fun, but I also want to be able to learn and reach these amazing states during meditation and, and, you know, continue to work through my ego and stuff, uh, get rid of my ego in a way. So finding the balance for me is, do you feel drained? Like, does masturbating every day make you feel drained? Um, Are you watching something when you're masturbating? Like, I completely cut out pornography, and that was just my choice. I felt like it was low vibration. I felt like it was not, I wasn't in tune with with my body. I was just watching it and doing it just to do it. And I wasn't present with my body. So, you know, practices like that can help you make it more mindful and help you kind of direct the energy more too. Right. And it kind of, and that, that's, I guess, another interesting thing that kind of ties back to what we were talking about earlier is that if you are using like pornography or something else, it has a tendency to distract you from what's actually going on inside your body and what you're actually like what how the energy is moving like what does it actually feel like versus if you're just getting visual stimulation then it's not you're not present with that energetic flow that's within you as you're kind of doing the practice and like you're only 
activating the brain and the visual senses. And there's so many other senses that you could be incorporating into that experience that can really make it like a spiritual experience through touch and through you know, like guiding the energy. Um, like you were saying, you do jujitsu. You know, right. it's like you're you're kind of choosing where you're directing the energy when you do practices like kiyong or jujitsu. And masturbating or having sex can be similar. Like you can use it as a practice to feel that energy radiating out through your entire body. And that's kind of the idea of having a full body orgasm is experiencing that energy through your whole body instead of just concentrated into one area of the body. And that's, and that's honestly probably a selfish mechanism for wanting to get into this stuff. But, you know, I've heard about how people have talked about like 10 minute orgasms, or even if they're just with their partner and kiss them, they've felt like an orgasm in the most simplest fashion, I guess. So I'm, I guess, aware of being able to keep or have women, let's say, in a state of orgasm for multiple long, longer duration. I personally am not, I'm having trouble finding information. And so maybe this is, I'm not sure if you're aware of the answer, uh, but for guys, on the other hand, of being in that extended period of orgasmic presence because in all of my experience it's like a maximum 30 seconds you know but is there like is there no like actual let's say fluid release whenever you find yourself in these as a man in these 10 minute uh states or if you're even aware of that yeah i mean you don't always release and some people get to a point where they can consciously choose not to release which kind of keeps some of that energy held back too and I think it's called like semen retention so you can do it in that yeah. way and then over time like if you haven't done it for a week and you want to release like you can consciously choose and a part of that is just beginning to like start to activate the energy in the I don't want to say this wrong the perineum <laughs> you know what I'm talking about perineum. yes like Basically, yeah. the base of the penis, like you're starting to activate that energy there. And it's in a female would be like a Kegel, like when you squeeze that feeling when you're peeing and you like squeeze. So you start to like activate that energy and kind of pulse it. And that's kind of the beginning practice that people will do to start to kind of draw attention to that area and pay attention to when they feel like they're about to release start to squeeze and hold and really concentrate and draw that energy consciously up to the crown and then kind of hold it there okay. until it passes and then continue. So that's really, that's the main okay. practice that I know of for men is like holding and then drawing the energy up towards the base of the crown of the head. Okay. Cause I've, I guess I've experienced or heard of similar things like that, but I've, and I guess I've tried but maybe because I remember there was one time that and this might be getting a little too personal, but, um, you know, trying like that meditative practice of like speeding up or slowing down, but making sure that you do like semen retention. And I remember it kind of felt like almost like a, it was like a hour, hour and a half long practice of doing it. And I was really focused on my breath and kind of that moving the energy up and down. And afterwards and I, I i'm not sure if you've done like breathing exercises i'm sure you have but where you 
you kind of feel almost like a DMT release or you feel like it's like that static, like whenever you see static on a TV is the best way I could describe it. And it just feels like it's all encompassing your entire body. And then I could even feel it kind of like in my hands of just like that static energy. And so, you know, maybe, do you know if that's maybe actually what it feels like? Because I guess, wow. And so here's what I'm thinking. (laughs) This is, I don't know how far off topic I'm getting, but, you know, as a, let's bring it back to the average person. Whenever you think about orgasm as a man, it's all located in one specific, you know, um, location near the penis. But then whenever that spreads out across your body, it's got to feel, I guess, different, or it's just like a, a sensation that you're not used to feeling. Yes. That it's a sensation you're not used to feeling. Um, and it's not, like you said, it's there's such an intense concentration of like nerve endings in your penis or in your clitoris. And like, it's not going to feel like that. To me, the best way to describe it is like, if you've ever been in meditation, and you've gotten to a point where you feel so relaxed that you literally are like outside of your body. Or you might have experienced it if you did like a psychedelic trip or something, where you had this like relaxing out of body experience. It feels more like that. Like it's like your body, it can feel like an electrical impulse. It can feel like your body is like floating outside of your physical self. So it's really not the same as like this release that we're used to feeling. It's more of an, a full body kind of energetic vibration. Yeah. I remember it being like, I don't want to say scary, but it was like a little intense. It was like, what's like kind of going on here. It's like, you, you almost like had an appreciation for not, I'm trying to remember exactly how to describe it. Cause I was just like, I remember feeling like I need to hydrate because I felt like I was just like zapped of energy. And then it was like this weird, like, it was almost like a daze almost like how you feel like right before, like maybe like you pass out or something, but it was like very, it was very, um, I remember my hands like, and I timed it too. It was like that energetic, like fizzle almost, or like that static fizzle was happening for maybe like five or 10 minutes after it was probably 10 to 15 minutes after I like stopped breathing. And so then part of me was like trying to figure out was like, okay, so because I was breathing so heavily, like, you know, or was it actually a combination, which I'm pretty sure it was a combination of that um, stimulation coupled with the breathing, coupled with that energy flow of processing it through your body? Yeah, the breathing definitely is the technology you can use for that too. Because it's you're basically creating energy in your body as you breathe faster and faster. Like you're building up that heat sensation and it's only adding to the energy moving through your body. But like you said, it is really draining and I think people if they are going to do this should definitely hydrate after and also like if you have Epsom salts if you can take an Epsom salt bath or something of that sort like you you're doing a cleanse you're basically heating up your body an intense amount and then you're just letting it dissipate so cleansing your body and allowing those energies kind of balance back out is crucial and without that you can feel super unbalanced yeah, that's a really good point is 
always hydrate, right? But if you're doing something like this, it, and I think it goes for any deep breathing or, you know, sexual practice that um, hydrating is super important with, you know, just being able to replenish because there's so much going, even though you're not like moving much, like you're not running a marathon or you're not doing jujitsu, there's, and maybe with the sex, you're sweating a bit more, but even, even with the, you know, personal meditation I was doing, I wasn't really moving at all, but you can feel that energy within your body, like really, really moving. <laughs> and, and maybe even a good way to describe this is what I was thinking is like, you know, as I was kind of, let's say, stimulating myself, using my breath to kind of take that energy out of, let's say, my penis and circulating it through kind of the body was kind of like my mindset of using that breath to do such a thing. Yeah. And I, th I think it takes practice too. like, the first time you do it, it might be really difficult to direct that energy anywhere else in the body, but it really, it just takes mindfulness and kind of getting out of your thoughts too, because your mind wants to kind of figure out how to do it, but just letting yourself be present and get to that state of relaxation. And I like to also like use my hand, like, and I have a couple videos on my channel where I like guide people through this too, but you can actually like use your hand and kind of hover it over your body. And that just adds another level of, you know, your brain likes to have visuals to help it see like, oh, the energy is moving in this direction. So using the hands to kind of guide that energy all throughout the body can be really helpful. Yeah, I saw you had like a tapping video where you were like kind of tapping up your, um, up like your, your stomach to like your top of your head. And that seemed pretty interesting and then yeah even with the hands because if it goes back to my experience like it feels like your hands have a lot of en energy between them and that was something that i found super crazy is that actually now that i'm remembering this is like when i was in that like let's call it fizzle state whatever you want to call it there was an element of me trying to like push my hands together and they were kind of like repelling themselves as if they were like magnets where i was like and i didn't it was so bizarre because I could feel my, I could see my hands, but then it felt like there was like an internal, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, being entity, call it whatever you want, but like, just like that would just get so energetically like pulsated as I would try to move my hands together and it would like push it away almost. Yeah. And there, there are actually several chakras in your hands. I think people don't always realize that. And so that's, that's one of the things I do before I do any energy work is I just literally like rub my hands together like this, get the heat going, and then I start okay. doing it. But I've, I feel that too. I feel that fizzling. And that's a great time to just place your hands intuitively wherever they want to go. And you might even notice during that okay. that there's like, there could be an emotional release, your body might want to like, do some movements and like just letting yourself do that let your body kind of naturally instinctively just move however it needs to to because you're letting the energy out too like you're flowing this energy through you and it's cleansing but you're also like releasing at the same time okay yeah that um i'll have to i haven't done it in a while but that was something that i remember being very very interesting it was very uh a very different and interesting like experience to kind of go through and do um on your own, you know, but something let's, yeah. And the, the breathing helps a lot too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, I feel like there's so much just like 
DMT or just like energy that like moves through whenever you use your breath, even with like meditating in any regards, like just focusing on your breath works wonders. Um, something I want to transition into. Uh, so this is where it's going to get like maybe a little off the rails <laughs> if we haven't got there already <laughs> is uh, with regards to the whole, the Palladians and the star seeds um, thing, because this is something that I've found YouTube videos on and I find it super fascinating. And part of me thinks that I am a star seed of some kind, but I have no idea what it is. So, um, you know, could you explain it to me like I'm five of what a star seed is and what it even means in the whole spiritual realm? Yeah, definitely. So <laughs> how do I describe this? We'll see. There <laughs> are different energies that exist in the universe that we can connect with. And many of them are energies that either we have been a part of in a past life or if you believe in like multiple timelines happening simultaneously, you know, you could be living and existing on this earth and you could also be living as a Pleiadian on another planet in a different star system. So really like the main ones are Pleiadians, Lumerians, Arcturians, Greys. <laughs> if I'm forgetting anything, you guys can Google it too. But yeah, those are like the main <laughs> ones that basically people feel like they connect with. And they're basically energetic beings that are a part of these different solar systems. And people connect with them. I've channeled them before. Um, and my connection to them was actually through a past life regression hypnosis that I did, where I was put into a hypnotic state and I was asked questions about a past life to see if any memories or visuals would come up. And I had this connection to Atlantis and I felt... Like I was part of some kind of hybridization program that occurred and had this like very vivid visual memory that caused like an emotional and energetic response to my body. So after that experience happened, I, I wasn't really into it. And then that happened and I was like, huh, like, I think I'm going to research this and see if there is something to all of this. And I started learning and I'd never heard of the hybrid thing before. And I started learning that many people who have past lives in Atlantis remember being a part of this hybrid program. So basically like all that to say, there are energies that are existing currently and that I believe have existed in the past and they're beings of light and they, they help keep things in balance. They bring us sacred text. They, I believe built the pyramids and they bring us knowledge and wisdom through symbols and deities and different archetypes that we can connect with. And to me, the Pleiadians and the Lumerians and these extraterrestrial beings and light beings that exist are basically just different energies that we can connect with to help us on this journey. So I'm curious to hear, though, like, what which one do you feel like you connect with? Well, I... I'm a little lost on it still. I'll be honest. Palladian, I the reason I'd say Palladian is because that's the one that I keep hearing the most about, and I feel like energetically attached to it. Um, something with Atlantis as well. Not sure if I've been there in a past life or whatever, but that's something that I've also like 
when I've heard that, or like, it's also kind of connected to me as well. So, you know, I'm still in the realm of like, I have no idea, <laughs> but I'm still trying to like pick together all the pieces to, cause being an engineer, I'm still trying to like, try to find the logic in it. And it makes sense from an energy standpoint, right? Like everything in this room, everything in this reality is purely just energy and matter. And so if, you know, when we die, essentially our energy is leaving a material body to do something else, I guess. And, you know, there is that energetic level to it. Um, I honestly don't know. I also am still trying to figure out like if all these energies are surrounding us, because I found, I've found text or uh, let's say discussion where people think that they're just, just one or like you're a star seed or you're not a star seed. Um, I have a crazy story with the Akashic records as well, but I was told that you're only able to access it if you are a star seed. Um, and I was able to access it. So I, at least I believe I was, which is a whole crazy story on its own. Uh, we can get into that for sure. Yeah. I'm like, that sounds interesting. Yeah. That, and well, that actually revolves around sex too. So, um, well, maybe we just jump into it now. Uh, now, well, hold on, let's, <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we'll save that. Like you, before we'll you said, that. you said like star seeds can only access it. The only thing, and this is what I think, there's a lot of people in this community that think differently, but I don't feel like this knowledge is closed off to anyone. And I genuinely think like, if we start structuring it like that, like, that's very dogmatic you know it's very polarizing to say like this is for some people and not for others I feel like this is wisdom that lies within all of us because we're all connected like we're extensions and expressions of consciousness and really all we're doing when we connect to the Akashic records is we're connecting to this collective unconscious of all the things that have ever happened and ever will happen are stored within there and we can all access it. And I think the light beings and the star seeds, it's just a way for our mind to create like a physical representation of something that is beyond human language. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that's like not helping you understand it, but no. so I, I'm cautious of attaching too much to I'm a Pleiadian or I'm a this, because again, those are identities that the ego wants to attach to. Right. So I see it more as like, this is an energy and it's fun too to like connect with these different energies and it helps us understand ourselves better. But I would just say be cautious of attaching another label to yourself because your ego loves stuff like right. that. It makes <laughs> us feel like we're more. It's not always most helpful. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad to hear you say that because that's kind of how I started approaching this was like, okay, well, you know, we are the, the right, like, in, let me back that up a little bit. We are the universe like experiencing itself. So based on that fundamental principle, everyone should be able to access the Akashic records. Everyone should be able to, um, you know, obviously working through your trauma and all that and blockage and yada, yada, yada. But if one person is able to do something in this reality, everyone should be able to, whether that's astro traveling, um, accessing the Akashic records, doing all these things. And so I guess I found a little bit of a hiccup 
whenever I started hearing people say, oh, well, only these people can do that, or only certain people can be telepathic, or only certain people, you know what I mean? Like, I guess I believe that there's probably talents and you need to train these and practice these. And that's certainly a part of it. But the fundamental thing being is that like, if one person can do it, then everybody can. It's not like, oh, well, you know, you're a Palladian starseed. So you're able to um, access the Akashic records and no one else can, because that alone feels like it creates like this mental block and shuts off a part of you from the universe as a whole. Yeah. And, and I think humility is, something the greatest teachers are so humble and they will admit to you that anybody can be their teacher you know they don't they don't put themselves on a pedestal buddha didn't put himself on a pedestal you know like he even learned from his own enemies so i think just keeping yourself in that mindset of like yes you probably had multiple lives and i think you're able to access that information and the truth of who you are a little bit more quickly when you've had multiple lives, but it definitely doesn't mean that you are in the VIP section of a spiritual awakening. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. anybody um, can learn from each other. It's not really, we think of it as this like ladder to the top. And I, I think it's just more complex than that. Right. It's a little bit more. Yeah. It's a little bit more like we all have the same abilities but maybe we're just at like a different stage in each ability per se. It's kind of like everyone's, everyone's your teacher in a way, but you're also like their teacher in a way, like, you know, just systematically like software engineering, let's say like I went to school for that and I'm assuming you didn't, I'm just guessing, but like that's, yeah, no. (laughs) And so, but uh, I mean, good for you, I think. Uh, (laughs) Um, but point being is it's like, you know, there's something I'm better at than you, but that also means that there's something you're better at than me. And I have a feeling that this is a way that we kind of get away from this in like the present society where we tend to put people, other people on pedestals because they're like our idealized form in some way and thus giving away our power in some regard to what we are actually the best at in the universe. Exactly. I mean, even just this idea that you can never become enlightened because this other person achieved it, but it's beyond you. You know, I just, I, I don't subscribe to that because we all came from the same source of energy or whatever you want to call it, God or universe. And so we all have that, we all have the same potentials and we're just experiencing reality through a different body and through a different like subconscious mind. And, and to judge one as better or worse than the other is kind of silly because they're just different expressions and forms of the same source consciousness. It takes us back into like that polarity of, of things in the 3D realm when you do something like that. And I Exactly. Think you- and the 3D realm is kind of, you know, that's where we're living now. And if people want to explore these different kinds of consciousness and lucid dreaming and manifesting... Like those things exist in the 12th, 15th, 16th dimension and polarity is third dimension. So we, we've got to evolve beyond that. And it's the second time you brought up lucid dreaming. So I got to, I got to make a comment on it. That's something that I've been trying to uh, cultivate more frequently at night. Um, So first of all, lucid dreaming is the act of becoming aware that you're in a dream and then 
being able to, let's say, manipulate or do whatever your imagination wants to do in this dream space. So with that being out of the way, um, have you, what's your history like with lucid dreaming? Um, I started lucid dreaming when I was young and just spontaneously and didn't know what it was and then watched Inception like many people do. And I was like, whoa, this (laughs) is amazing. And I started researching, like, is this a real thing that you can do? And when I read it, I was like, oh, like, I do that all the time. I didn't realize I could actually, like, manipulate and kind of reach this level with it. So I started following someone on YouTube. His name is Ryan Cropper. And he talks a lot about lucid dreaming and kind of learned through that. And actually, it's interesting we're talking about this because this week I've been getting really into yoga nidra which is kind of like a form of lucid dreaming that's more of an Eastern Buddhist practice where they put themselves in this deep meditative state. And then eventually the goal is to do dream yoga, which essentially is lucid dreaming with the aspect of adding in different characters within the dream so you can communicate and learn things from them. And it's pretty amazing. (laughs) It's really cool. So I'm kind of getting into that more and, just last night, I actually had like a pretty interesting lucid dream that was not super intense, but it's cool that as I'm learning more about it, it's kind of naturally just happening again. So yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. But what's your, awesome. what's kind of your experience with lucid dreaming? Um, yeah, so the first time was probably in college, but I never, like, I never knew about it, never heard about it. And I remember like I was driving in a car and I like came to the realization. I was like, all right, why am I with these people? And why are we in this car? Like, this doesn't make sense. And then I had like this recollection that I was dreaming. And so then I like remember being able to like spawn or like create like a ramp in front of the car and like got it to fly. And then it like very slowly, like kind of floated back down. And so then I created like another ramp and took it off that, um, but then I woke up after that and didn't really realize what had happened. And it wasn't till maybe what would it be like three years later or three years ago from today, I was like, I like remembered that dream and I was like, started researching it, started figuring out lucid dreaming, um, started implementing like different techniques you can do throughout your day to, um, try to cue yourself that like you're dreaming and, uh, you know, what have you. Uh, since then I've only had like two lucid dreams. Um, one was like super fast where I like realized I was dreaming and then like tried to fly away and then woke up. And then the other one, uh, which was maybe a month ago. Um, I actually started like being able to like bring people in and like talk to people, but I haven't, really been able to do it uh consistently or really like since then i haven't pulled it off and then it kind of like came to me i was like am i trying to force this too much where like i'd keep like a dream journal and i'd like look at my fingers and like try to make it happen but i started finding myself in this idea of like am i trying to force this too much or am i like do i just need to like let it go and just like you know kind of be in that flow that we talked about um And so that's kind of where I am with it is like, so I've experienced it three times, two times were kind of like on purpose, but now I'm kind of like in this like quasi, like, 
I really want to do it. And this is where I probably like want it a little bit more um, to kind of like get in tuned and like, like you were saying, like bring people in and ask them questions. And I've even heard just meditating as you're <laughs> in a, in a dream is like super powerful. Um, so I would love to hear any suggestions you have, or if uh, or what that experience like is to meditate while being in a lucid dream. Yeah. So I have meditated in a hypnotic state, which I, oh, I would imagine is similar. I haven't meditated in a lucid dream, I don't believe. I, it wasn't like I was sleeping. Um, okay. But okay. I work a lot, and it helps me to build myself up. Like, I become a master or close to it in one area, and then I will kind of add, slowly add, like, another kind of complexity to it. But I started with just getting into like a meditative state while lying down, which it sounds like you've kind of got that part down and basically just laying there and staying completely still. And if I feel like an itch or something on my body, I literally just ignore it. And eventually the itch goes away and I just bring my awareness back inside. And I usually will set an alarm too for the middle of the night to wake me up. And, or I'll just kind of spontaneously wake up sometimes in the middle of the night. And then that's what happened last night. I was like, oh, well, I woke up. Let me see if I can lucid dream. Went back to sleep and just had okay. a lucid dream. So waking up in the middle of the night basically kind of gets you out of that hypnotic state that you were in in deep sleep, but you're still in between waking and sleeping. So you're already kind of in that state. So you just kind of let yourself go back into the dream, but you're still awake. So that's super helpful. And as far as like meditating in a dream, like there are yogi masters who've been doing this for 20 plus years who can't even do that. So I think it's like, oh oh yeah, like that's, I've heard of people who've been doing this for 20 years who started doing that. And he was like, it was so intense. He felt like his whole body was vibrating and like he was going to like jump out of his body. And he was like, I stopped. (laughs) So I haven't, Jeez. yeah, I haven't reached that level yet. I feel like that's, that's something I would definitely be interested in doing one day, but I take it one step at a time. Right now I'm trying to implement, like if I become aware in a dream, I'll take that opportunity to tell myself things that I want to believe in my subconscious. Like for example, I'll tell myself like, right. you are confident and you're healthy and you don't want to eat sugar <laughs> you know, Christmas cookies. You don't like Christmas cookies. They're disgusting. Yeah. Like I'm basically like planting little thoughts and ideas in my head. And as I do that, I find that the lucidity in the dream becomes like easier because I'm kind of, okay. Okay. I'm like allowing myself to heal those parts and kind of introducing a positive intention. And it seems to kind of work out well. Yeah. Do you, do you like set any intentions before you go to bed with it? Like tonight I want to lose a dream and I'll think about this or do you kind of just go to bed and just whatever happens happens? Um, usually not like right before bed, but throughout the day I'll try to watch a video or something about lucid dreaming and then forget about it. And apparently this is an important aspect is the forgetting about it part because if you are thinking about it and just like you won't let your mind focus on anything else, it's kind of like a peculiar thing. Like sometimes it doesn't work if you're putting too much attention on it. So I found that 
you know, at some point in the day reading about it and then I move on and pretend like it never happened. And it's, it's kind of like, it's just lingering in the back of my head. That's, that's so fascinating that you say that because that last time that I lucid dreamed where it was like, I was controlling, I don't want to say controlling people, but I was bringing people into the dream and like very aware, like it was the most like controlled lucid dream I had. I had listened to a podcast earlier in that day that was talking about lucid dreaming. And then I didn't like do any of the other practices I normally do about lucid dreaming, like checking my fingers or um, writing in my dream journal before bed. And I just like, I just forgot about it. And so I think that's probably um, such a key aspect, I guess, to a lot of things, like even manifesting, like you have to have that letting go piece of just like falling into the present moment, like have that little seed planted and then just let go. And so I think that's fascinating you bring that up because that was that was something that I think helped me. I remember I remember like the day after I was like, oh, I did listen to that podcast. I wonder if like those girls talking about it, like got me into like the frame of mind for it. Yeah, that's that's exactly what happened to me because I hadn't I hadn't done it in so long. <clears throat> and I started learning about yoga nidra and he was talking about lucid dreaming. And then that night, like woke up in the middle of the night. And just had this thought, I should try to lucid dream. And I was like, huh, I haven't done that in like a year, but sure. So yeah, yeah it's I, it's like you're the universe or whatever this consciousness is. It wants us to release our attachment before it kind of gifts us with the experience. Because, you know, everybody wants to have that cool Inception VR type experience. Right. But, <laughs> but it's like, find the balance, like release your attachment to it and go in with a pure intention and it will come to you. Yeah. It's so, and that's, I, I think that's a very strong point of where I think I am in my kind of like spiritual awareness is that finding that balance between how much effort I should be putting towards something, how much mental energy I should be putting towards, you know, financial goals, YouTube goals, lucid dreaming goals, and then how much of it I just need to like let go and just fall into the present moment, whatever that entails. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely difficult. <laughs> I find the balance every day because yeah. I, I think you can kind of, you can feel yourself when you're getting too attached to something because it's almost like the minute something shifts and it's like, it might not be what you thought it was going to be. You start to have like a panic. You know what I mean? Like, if you've ever experienced that, like, and those yeah. moments always show me like, oh, I didn't realize I was so attached to this, you know, like I need to just trust and, and let it be whatever it's going to be. And I think there's a level of fear that probably comes into it as well. Like if you're afraid to do something because it's not going to have the desired outcome, you know what I mean? Like if you're afraid to, I don't know, post a video or something or afraid trying to think of a good example, but you know, if you're afraid, essentially, if you have like this idealistic goal of lucid dreaming and, ah, here's a good example. So I keep like a dream journal every night. Like I'd write down like the date, the time I go to bed. And then when I'd wake up, I'd write down the dream so that I would remember them. Well, what I think happened was I became so attached to doing that every single night because it was like, okay, this is how I'm going to lucid dream. Once I kind of just like let go of that process, I think that's what helped open up the 
cleared the space for me to fall into that like lucid dream reality. Yeah, because I think people feel like they want the steps. Like that's a big thing now is like, tell me how to do it. Tell me the steps of how I can do it. And that that Mm kind of pulls us away from our our intuition and our, our nature, which like I said, like I was lucid dreaming when I was like seven years old. Like this is an intuitive thing that we all have within us. And I think sometimes when we attach to I've got to do this and I've got to, you know, make sure I'm laying down like this. I have to wake up at 3 a.m. Like if you're doing those steps every single time, it's almost like hindering you in a way. Right. You're becoming too much of a machine and not in that flow of the universe. And it's also like just trust your own instinct because this is a state of consciousness that anyone's mind is capable of going into. And I think trusting that and going off of kind of your gut feeling of like what should I do tonight should I journal or should I just you know have some tea like what do you feel like doing that's that's exactly what you should do and that's a good I think that's a good practice that people I myself need to do more frequently but I have found a lot of utility in that mostly with like food like okay I'm hungry like what am I hungry for why am I hungry for it am I actually thirsty Do I want like what sounds good to me? But if you can do that, I think with like majority of aspects of your life, I feel like it's just going to have this huge, you know, undertaking of just like rectifying and, and becoming more energized, becoming more present with that flow of things. And I I think that's a hard, it's very meditative in a sense, right? Because you have to kind of feel into your body and it's reminding me of a video I think I saw that you did. And you briefly, what was it? It was like five ways, oh, five ways to sharpen your intuition. But the way you started it out is you talked about the difference between, I think it was intuition and your ego. Like, is it your, maybe I'm quoting that wrong. That was it, where it was like your intuition. How do you know you're following your intuition versus your ego? And so I thought that was like a really fascinating thing to point out. I was like, yeah, like that's, you know, a super powerful thing for you to come in, t- in tuned with, right? Like how can you even level up, let's say your intuition, if you're acting from a place of your ego, it's like, Oh, well you're trying to feed your ego with these tips for intuition. And meanwhile, you're not even um, helping the correct thing. Yeah. You're not, you're kind of missing the point. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that that happens a lot with, you know, people seeking out these like spiritual experiences, but they're not even tuning into themselves. And and I see it happening a lot with, with social media. You know, we have a lot of really great information and there's a lot of people who want to guide you and teach you. But sometimes we forget like there's a teacher inside of you and there's a guide already inside of you. And if you don't have a relationship with that person that that being that exists within you then you should not even be looking at anything else because those things should just be like cherry on top of the ice cream or whatever they say you know what i mean like they're only they're adding value to the value that you already have and i think a lot of people they're seeking out answers outside of themselves when they should really be looking within and then kind of adding those those things on to help them throughout their journey and see how they're able to expand upon it in those 
fashion in that fashion of reality yeah and i mean it's it's not like like things like lucid dreaming that's not necessarily a goal or something you should be like trying to attain it's a fun experience to have but anything in life can teach you the same lessons that lucid dreaming can and you can still have those amazing experiences in a meditation or in everyday life just like going to work you know you can put yourself in that that flow state and you can really feel those feelings in your body too so just being open to any experience in life can be amazing and cool and and not closing yourself off to like if i'm not telepathic by next year then i'm throwing spirituality out the window like it's not about the it's not really about the gifts it's it's about the being present and you know experiencing it all but not attaching to it it's like that journey to it and that's i i remember reading uh in the untethered soul it talks about that where um you know you attach this idea of like well i'll be happy if i have you know, a million dollars, I would be more at peace if I was in this situation. And the problem is with that is that you're now placing your happiness on an external event. Therefore, if you don't have that thing, you're not happy now. So you think you'll be happy once you have that thing. But the problem is, is that your happiness is then going to be fleeting. Because once you have that thing, you're still going to feel the same way as you did before. You don't realize that. I mean, maybe you have like a small boost in dopamine and serotonin. Yeah. But down the road, it's not going to be beneficial for you. Yeah. Like everything has to have that life death cycle, you know, like it's going to bring you joy for a time. But eventually, you know, once you are eating cake every single day, eventually you're tired of eating cake. Like you don't want it anymore. And I, and I think that goes back to the sex thing too. Like, that thing of giving your energy like the more and more you have this experience it's kind of like it sort of loses its energetic like specialness to you because it's not new anymore so learning in all things in life to just appreciate it for what it is and not don't attach so much pleasure to it because the amount of pleasure you derive from anything that's the exact amount of pain you're going to drive from that same thing when it's taken away from you. So finding that balance of, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to cling to this. It's like holding a bowl. Like if you're trying to hold this bowl and not break it, but you're squeezing it so tight, like you're going to smash it, you know, got to have that balance. Yeah. And that's, I think that's also a really fascinating point that you bring up is that, you know, if you hold, if you place that much joy on something, you know, the polarity of that is also exposed to you because then if you place all the joy in it, then you're placing all the grief in it as well. And thus giving away your ability to transcend either one of those energies. Yeah. And also just your ability to see it as both the grief and the pleasure, you know, as this complex thing, that's not just one thing or the other. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it, my mind's going to the uh, Akashic Records because I, I want to get your opinion on uh, on, a, on what, because I have a hard time describing it. And of course, we can get to my story at a certain point, but I want to, I'm curious how you would describe uh, like this unified, uh, this library, let's call it. Yeah, just how I would describe. Well, library is a good way of describing it, I feel like. Um... And to me, it's 
it's all the information that has ever existed across any dimension of time and beyond time. (laughs) So basically like all the knowledge and wisdom of the past and the present and the future, I think is held within this Akashic sort of library or the records, some people call them. And I feel like what you're tapping into when you access this is this universal, like Carl Jung calls it the collective unconscious. It's these memories that we all hold. It's this understanding of those symbols that we were talking about. Like we all have a deep understanding of the symbolism of life around us and we're not consciously aware of it in our day-to-day lives. And when we access the Akashic Records, it's like we suddenly have this understanding of sacred geometry and we suddenly see sort of the symbiotic relationship between all these sacred texts and symbols throughout the universe. So it kind of just weaves everything together. And so it's essentially just our like library of everything being able to describe how creation occurred. And so then if there is this library that we all have access to, do you have a way that you access it? Are you, how, how often have you like read the Akashic records or like, what's your experience with it? Yeah. So you can access it through many ways and I've, I've accessed it. I mean, just on a regular basis through downloads of information uh, that come to me and sometimes that comes to me as like a sharp ringing in my ear and then suddenly this like epiphany type of knowing kind of comes to me Uh, and it can come in the form of like a thought or I'll feel like I need to write something down and it's usually something you know when you like (laughs) I don't know if I can say this on here but when you're smoking smoking weed or whatever and you have some crazy thought And you're like, oh, I got to write that down. Like, it's kind of like that. But the thought that comes to me is something super profound that I know didn't come from Natalie. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, there's no way I could have thought that thought. And so it comes to me as that. And it also has come to me during psychedelic trips before, for sure, where I've accessed information. I've asked questions um, in a state of hypnosis, when I did my past life regression, that was accessing the Akashic records. So things like that, when you, when you shift yourself into different states of consciousness, I think it's easier to access it because basically your ego conscious mind is kind of sitting on the back burner and you're able to access this kind of super conscious mind that's beyond your waking consciousness. Right. It's almost like you're transcending this like physical world into the whatever's going on outside of it almost. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> into the the ether. Into the And ether. I feel like the the library is just, you know, we, our mind understands things in human language and it's a great visual because you can imagine, you know, a library that's full of books and you can choose from those books to learn information. So I feel like that's just a a way of us to represent it. I don't think it's literally a library. I think it's just right. it manifests right. to a lot of people as a as a library. I think it's and to bridge the gap on that, I guess the way I would describe it is, you know, we're trying to explain something just purely of energy in our three-dimensional realm because it's the only type of perception that we have. 
And so if you're going to describe something that has knowledge of everything that's ever happened, the best representation that we have on this 3D realm would be a library, right? With books and, you know, like, uh, like a ceiling, you know, it has multiple layers to it. It's this all knowing, you know, knowledgeable thing. And this is something you've probably seen throughout like movies or stories. If you're ever going somewhere and you need to get knowledge or you need to know more, you go to a library. It's just like, uh, the place that has every answer that we have conceptualized in this 3d realm. But if we're going to be speaking at a higher plane, you're going to need to be able to access a library in order to get all the information you're looking for. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's a, a powerful visualization tool, which, you know, like our human mind loves visualization. That's why a lot of people use visualization meditations Therapists are starting to incorporate different visuals to help people access different traumas. So, you know, if the Akashic Record is something that people are wanting to access, it can be helpful to go in a meditative state and literally envision yourself in a library and then just ask the question, go up to a book in the library, imagine yourself feeling it and open the book and see what it says. And like, it's as simple as that, (laughs) like literally. Yeah. And so I'm smiling because I think that's a perfect transition into me describing like what my experience was, because it was literally what you just described, which I think is crazy because I'm, I'll describe what happened, but like, to me, I wasn't, I I still kind of have questioned it. Like, did that actually happen? Or is it just my mind trying to conceptualize these ideas? But regardless, um, I went into it with the intention of, you know, trying to rectify like porn. And because I feel like I had watched it far too frequently and I had found myself kind of going down the rabbit hole and find myself watching very, um, a very specific genre of porn, which was uh, more like group stuff. And, you know, I don't want to go too deep down it, but let's just say like, it was a mixture of kind of like cuckold and group stuff, which to me, I had no recollection of ever having like some issue in my past, like with something like that, or, um, you know, just kind of becoming aware that I was watching that type of stuff. And then I had the realization of like, okay, wait, why am I like attracted to this type of stuff? So I figured a good place to go was the Akashic records And so I kind of, it was in Brazil and I found like this patch of grass and I found myself kind of sitting there meditating and I actually had a, uh, it was like something I found on YouTube that kind of was like a guided meditation and, you know, essentially became like very calm and very present and then visualize like a doorway with like a book on it. And so you open up this door and in there is like this library, massive library and I'm seeing all this with like my third eye and the entire thing just kind of seemed like it was made like out of glass and out of like just this like very pristine blue color. And, um, in the guided meditation, they have you like talk to like the librarian and they're like, you know, take me to the book of like my life and kind of those things. So she like grabs a book off the shelf and like gives me it and I like lay it open and I'm just looking at a blank page and I, you know, it's like 
in the meditation, it's like, you know, ask it the question you're looking for. So I ask it like, you know, why am I, you know, why am I attracted to this type of porn? And so then the book kind of like flipped and I see myself or let's say a past life, I guess, of what I thought was me kind of chained up on this like stone wall. You know, I kind of like hands above the head, you know, knees on the ground, very medieval um, style of scenery. And I look around and there's a table, uh, you know, right in front of me with what I presume to be my wife. And the guards were surrounding her and, you know, having essentially their way with her. I asked, and then I'm like sitting there like pretty like, and I'm feeling it right now, like the energy of it. And I even asked like, the next question I asked is like, why is this happening? And the book kind of flipped again. And I found myself um, kind of on my knees again, but this time I was like uh, in the presence of a king of some sort. And I remember then, you know, just a download or what have you, where the king had asked me a question, but instead of giving him the full truth, I basically gave him half the truth and didn't give him a full answer. And then it flashed back to me being like in that dungeon and me realizing like, oh, I hadn't completely spoken my, the truth of the situation out of fear that repercussions were going to happen to me. And ironically, this was the repercussion of not fully speaking like the truth of whatever the question was. And so at which point, um, because I had done like uh, plant medicine, uh, like child trauma healing things before, I then, you know, tried to act that out or I did act that out on, you know, this past life of me that was chained up on this wall where you sit there and you're like, you know, this isn't your fault. This is the lesson we learned from this. You know, here's how we are today. And since having that Akashic record, you know, incident, I haven't, I've probably looked at porn twice, but I haven't even gone to that, like, depth of that categorical porn that I used to look at beforehand. And so, you know, I'm now <laughs> present day trapped in this interesting thing of, you know, one, did that event ever occur to a person who would have shared the same, let's say, spirit or entity that I'm embodying right now? Number two, does it even matter if that actually happened? Because I'm now able to transcend this current, this present moment occurrence of it just by having that, you know, discussion with my past self, you know? So that was, that was honestly something I'm still trying to rectify as to, you know, what exactly happened and, you know, what's, <laughs> what to make of it. Yeah. I mean, you know, intuitively more than I do, but it sounds like a past life. Um, you know, the, yeah. the energy, especially something so intense like that and traumatic, I think can definitely carry with you into other lives for it to be cleared. I had a lot of clearing that I had to do too. Once I did the, the past life hypnosis, you know, finding out or seeing this visual of being a part of this program and basically being ostracized from society and kind of cast out it 
brought up feelings within me that exist, like emotions that I've always had of being, you know, very independent and not trusting people easily and realizing like the emotions surrounding that trauma still exist within me in this life. So I think, yeah, you know, it sounds like you kind of carried that with you and you were still subconsciously drawn towards that because it was trying to reveal itself to you. But it is. It's, and so then. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, say so it's, like it's with, pretty amazing. Okay. Yeah. Well, I was just going to ask you, like, you know, with your reconciliation or with your discovery of this, was that kind of was it when you accessed uh, your own Akashic records or how did you kind of kind of fall into that understanding of that's how your life was playing out from this past life occurrence? So the past life was actually a different experience of accessing that. Um, I had a very similar experience to what you had when I was younger, probably about 13, where I was laying on the ground trying to lose a dream because I was a weird kid. And I was just laying there (laughs) and had this like vivid realization of going into this like library, like you said, this huge library, very like fairy tale like. And again, asking a question and going up to a book and opening it. And what it showed me was beyond uh, past life. It was more so like showing me, I don't know if we want to get super into this topic, but it was showing me basically that the religion that I was following is not what I think it is and that it has a more complex meaning and a deeper symbolism to it. And it kind of showed me that in, in images and I had a visitation from Jesus or some form of Jesus came to me and spoke to me openly in the dream and kind of told me to move away from taking the Bible as literal and to start to understand it in a different context. So after that happened, I was like, that was interesting. And and I remember Googling, like visiting a library in a dream, spiritual. And I was like trying to find if other people had experienced this. And then I found this thing called the Akashic Records And that kind of just set me on this deep dive into spirituality and, you know, learning more about my own consciousness. That's crazy. I mean, that's pretty cool too. Yeah. It is cool then. What'd you say? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we did so well, Natalie. (laughs) Now we're just (laughs) excited to talk over each other. What, um, no, it's all good. It's all part of the, it's all part of the, uh, what is it called? The, um, the show, the show of it all. Um, so what, uh, what was like, do you remember like what like symbol as you were shown or was it kind of just like this, you saw a symbol and just like intuitively knew what it meant? Um, so it's a loose memory, but I, I remember something being shown to me that was like not a la- in language form. And then okay. afterwards, okay. I kind of felt in this instinct to read the book of Genesis in the Bible again. And I read it and I suddenly had this like understanding of, if you've heard of like Kundalini energy, like I read the story of Adam and Eve through a completely different lens of 
masculine and feminine energies. And I began to understand that like Eve biting into the apple is representative of Akashic wisdom, essentially. Like when we bite into that apple, like we are literally shown everything and we kind of become like God or gods because everything is kind of held within that universal consciousness. And so it really just, it was empowering to me because before I believed I had to kind of find salvation or saving through this thing that was outside of myself. And then when I saw the Bible in this context, I was like, the wisdom is sitting right there. You know, it's the apple on the tree and it's just my job now to take it down and bite into it (laughs) and kind of explore this whole other world. So yeah, it was empowering to, to feel like that wisdom lies within me. Cause I mean, I had just accessed it through meditating. I had been given this huge epiphany and I didn't have to go to a religious center or have a Pope, you know, share the information with me. Like I was able to just find it within myself. Right. And I think there's something there where if you had gone to a Pope to find this, you would have been giving away a sense of your power in a sense, because like this person showed you the light. It's like, no, you had to figure it out for yourself, which is almost the crux of the empowerment. And now I'm starting to create a parallel in my mind with this whole like school and the way we're kind of told that we should go and work for so many years and then you get out of it and then you, you know, retire. Now, if that was just handed to me on a silver platter when I was five years old, then there's almost a level of like, I would have never had the power to be able to figure that out on my own. You know, things like the debt that they gave us, the, you know, and so it's, it's like that figuring it out on your own is almost where that it shows you the depths of that power. Wow. And I guess you can kind of almost transcend that and place that on anything you want, you know, whether it's, you're trying to send a rocket to the moon or you're trying to figure out why you're viewing a certain type of porn. You know, it's, it's like the answers to all those questions and all of life questions are with inside you. Yeah. And like your answer, your answer was like within your experience too. And that, because I feel like it was, there were so many different complexities within that of being able to like access that inside the Akashic library, but also, it made you question like, where did this thought come from? And just when you said that, that initial, when you asked yourself, like, why am I attracted to this type of porn? Like that moment of self inquiry, I feel like so many people don't even have that at all. Like, you know, they're just doing things kind of blindly and sort of in a hypnotic state. And they don't even realize, like, it's not coming from a conscious place. It's coming from something subconscious or even from a past life so the fact that you're able to like self-inquire you know that's the beginning of all realization really oh yeah i give myself a pat on the back every day for (laughs) you know finding these little you know these little things and it comes back to what we were talking about earlier with you know how do you identify like what are you identifying with are you identifying with the fact that you're a man it's like you know, through this whole past, like through this whole spiritual enlightenment thing, it's like, I'm sure I was a female at some point in my life or in some point of my, 
let's say reincarnation of whatever you want to call it. And so, you know, it's like, can you even really identify as a man? It's like, and then that is such like, even just, and maybe that's even so far down the bedrock, right? If we go back up to the top, it's like, you normally will identify with like your job or your spouse or your hobbies. And it's like, as you transcend down that, you get to the root of like man or whatever age you are, or even something as silly as your name. It's like, that's not even really who you are. It's like, who are you? Oh, it's like, I'm Clayton. It's like that, even just in that like sentence right there, it's like true, but it's not at the same time. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, really our names are just sounds to identify us like ultimately, you know, (laughs) I mean, and it, it, that's the whole thing of an existential crisis. You know, I think some people fear that if they go down this path, like I'm gonna lose it how am I I'm gonna lose touch with reality but it's like reality is built by you you know like the way you perceive things and how you feel about certain things shapes the way you experience reality and I think that's kind of the lesson you could take from it it's like you don't have to dissolve how you feel about everything because those are those things are still going to exist but just being aware like like what you did, like, why am I attracted to this? Why did I decide that I wanted to be a doctor instead of a lawyer or whatever? You know, just that mm-hmm. self-inquiry, I think, makes life interesting and and honestly makes you think more deeply about life, too. Right. You find, like, deeper truths almost. And you bring up a good point is that people sometimes don't really want to challenge their existence as it is because it's not easy, but... I don't know. The easy things never seem to be the most fulfilling either. So it's, it's quite the catch 22. Yeah. I think people will always choose the journey. Like, I mean, and it's in our DNA, like we've evolved and survived like so many crazy things. Like humans should not be where they are today. We are not even the strongest animal, but somehow we're here. And it's because like, we love the struggle, you know, we love going through the journey. And I think that's an important part of our consciousness that we shouldn't try to fight. Like it's, it's a part of our DNA. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a super powerful way to wrap this up. Um, Just on like, that's, that's the crux of all this, right? How long have we been going at this? Oh man, geez. That didn't even feel like two hours. (laughs) had some really Uh, good talks definitely yeah (laughs) i feel like we're just scratching the surface of this too um we'll definitely have to bring you on uh natalie for some more uh some more in the future but before that do you want to like share anything with people like encourage people to do stuff if you have any um any advertising you want to do yeah for sure i'll definitely uh, drop some of your links uh down below as well so don't worry about like spelling stuff out yeah so take the floor yeah, so if you guys are interested, uh, you can check me out on YouTube, Sex Skin Spirit. And my website is sexskinspirit.com. So you can book like a free 30-minute consultation with me if you want to talk about anything you're going through or start kind of working on some of that energetic healing I was talking about. And yeah, I just encourage you guys, just know that this wisdom is within you and you don't need any of this extra stuff. <laughs> like you've got it. You already got in disguise, yeah. so... Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, it's really... No, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, 
we'll definitely stay in touch and bring you on for a future episode at some point, get catch up and have all that fun. Uh, but Natalie, you know, thanks for being here guys. If you enjoyed this conversation, um, go follow Natalie on some of her other channels. She's got a pretty cool YouTube where she dives into this stuff even deeper. Uh, if you're listening on Apple or now even Spotify, smash the, leave us a review. I'd love to know what you guys think. Um, if you have any questions about stuff, I, you know, I'm still at the good size where I can still review all that stuff. So, uh, feel free to let me know how I'm doing. Other than that, um, I'll see you guys in the next, uh, podcast and let's grow together.